Running sales, promotions, and discounts is something almost every store does. And there's no promotions app more advanced than bold discounts. It's the easiest way to set up and automate a sale without coupon codes. Think of bold discounts as your store's advanced sale engine. The amount of flexibility in this thing is wild. Listen to this. You can choose whether or not coupon codes are allowed during a sale. It supports smart deal stacking. Let's say you've got overlapping promotions. The app will automatically choose the best offer between the two. And I love that you can add custom HTML to products on sale. So this is great for easily and automatically adding wording to your products like clearance sale, all sales final, etc. They've even added new sales icons and countdown timers. So now if you're running a store-wide sale, you can add their countdown timer in your header, homepage, wherever you want. No coding needed. And that's just scratching the surface of stuff it could do. So if you're looking for a way to automate sophisticated sales in your Shopify store, maybe for flash sales or upcoming holidays, Bold Discounts will get you up and running within seconds. And as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their discounts app free for two months. To get this special offer, go to kurtelster.com slash bold, and you'll be able to install it from there. That's kurtelster.com slash bold. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. So how much money did you lose on GameStock? Uh, that would be a zero dollars because I'm a conservative investor. All my money is in SPY. S-P-Y. That is the safe and prudent thing to do with your savings. Mm-hmm. I decided I could outsmart the market. I wanted to listen to Papa Elon. I bought GameStop. And anyway, now I'm stuck with this thing and I'm, I'm out $2,500. It's a painful lesson. Yeah, I, uh, I'm like Barge Simpson. I just like betting that all the horses have a good time. <laughs> uh, fortunately, Homer was able, to cl- was able to rescue her from Gambler's Neon Claws. Okay, no, but that's a different, different episode. episode. Uh, well, you know, the Simpsons fans <laughs> will appreciate all of this nonsense. Uh, did you see that? Art- I sent you the article in the Wall Street Journal about the hedge fund guys that just had randomly bought GameStop in December because they liked the stock. And then ended up making like $700 million on it when all this dumb shit happened. But the th- re- the thing that made them cash out was that Elon Musk tweeted about it. And they were like, it's over. Get out. <laughs> Papa Elon, what'd you do? <laughs> were, oh, no. It's like when your dad uses the meme. You're like, yep, it's, it's over. It's over. <laughs> you know, and your, your dad shows up and he's like, man, this is lit. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, so where have you been lately? Uh, I think my face is thinner. Do you think my face is thinner? I thought you were looking a little thinner. Yeah. Okay. So the key to weight loss is mm-hmm. to not consume any nutrition or water for eight days. That doesn't sound healthy. Yeah. No, I, you know, uh, I mean, look at the results though. <laughs> uh, uh, 
How'd that happen? Uh, yeah, so it turns out I had like giant gallstones. And, and by giant, you mean? I mean like literal charcoal briquettes no! inside my gallbladder. I mean, I I think there were... Th- I, I had, saw the photo. Yeah, I had three... He's not kidding. It really did look like a charcoal briquette in every aspect. Yeah, I had three gallstones that I'm almost certain were 100% of the volume of my gallbladder. Yeah, and, your gallbladder looked like a deflated balloon. Yeah, and so uh, one of them, a chip got loose, which caused me to have like intense pain and pancreatitis, which is like pancreas inflammation which just makes you scream and have 10 out of 10 pain. Yeah, it turns out it's to- complete agony. <laughs> so uh, so I went to the ER, and I've been in the hospital for the last week. And and yet you're here. Yeah. You couldn't stay away. Well, uh, that happened last Monday, so we are now uh, recording this on Thursday of the Thursday after the week. So it's, what, 11 days? I don't know. How many COVID tests did they give you? They gave me one. I got the Q-tip jammer right when I went in the ER. It wasn't that bad. It was like you know, just a tenth of a second. You wouldn't even you don't even notice it. Oh, that's good to know. No, it wasn't. The people that complained about that, I was kind of like, all right, settle down. After I had it, you're the only person I see. I'm hold like I made it this long isolating. I'm holding out for the vaccine. I'm not just going to start doing stuff right now after it's now been almost a year. Yeah, I'm not doing anything either. But like the moment I get that, we already talked about this. The moment I get that vaccine, I'm just running through the streets naked. Ready to go, showing off my various scars, your various laparoscopy scars. Yeah, but okay. Uh, so yeah, I was on. Uh, I was on a lot of Delauded the last week. It was delightful. Delauded is delightful. <laughs> that's uh oh. Yeah, no, that's my that's new, the that's, that's the first new... red flag for addiction <laughs> potential. So the, the so there's a long running joke between my wife is you know I had my appendix out in 2008, and you know I had like a little button plunger thing that I think gave me morphine or whatever when I was recovering from it. And it was on like a governor. Like you couldn't just, right. you couldn't just hammer it all the time. But I was like, Oh yeah, you could feel it though. When it really came through, and I was like, it was good. And I talk about that with my wife and she's just like, and I'm like, I can't wait to go in the hospital again. Cause I'm going to hammer that button. I'm so excited. And she's like, if you ever go in the hospital again, I'm telling them you're not getting anything. Like you're not allowed any opiates. She's very worried about opiate addiction. Well, she should be. She, I mean, she obviously she sees it all the time at work, and but you know it was like always a joke between us that she was like, "You're not allowed." I'm never letting them give you painkillers ever. I don't think it was a joke on her side. But so I was like, you know, so she saw me uh, in the middle of the night on Monday and drove me to the ER. But uh, when I told her like a day later, I was like, "Yeah, I'm on like Dilaudid every couple hours." And like, oh, I needed it so good. And I was kind of wondering if I was going to get like backlash from her. And when I said that, she was just like, oh, yeah, no, you need that. And then, well, yeah, <laughs> the, pancreatitis, very painful. The fact that she was just like, nope, that's what you need. You should be receiving that every few hours. I was like, ooh, I, I really earned it. <laughs> yeah, you sounded grim. Yeah, it, it was it was it dark was, days. It was horrifying. Yeah. When they ask you, like on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain? I was like, that was a 10. I know what a 10 is. Ooh. You've had, like, nothing happen to you, right? No, I'm extraordinarily lucky in all regards. Yeah, you've, and like, never had surgery. I'm, like, this GameStop thing's, like, the worst thing that's ever happened to I me. I know. It's, you're just like, what's a cavity? Yes. I've never had a cavity. <laughs> you've never had a cavity? No. Never had surgery? No. God. Have you <laughs> ever had to spend a night in a hospital? Uh, me personally? Absent, like, Julie's given birth and you're, like, spending the night with Julie. No. Death. Death. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm I'm very grateful for it, but also now I'm like, well, I don't have, you know, that standard life experience. Now I'm on borrowed time. (laughs) It's only a better time to, like, cut off a finger accidentally or something. Yeah. 
So I can't can't take it for granted. Today, on the unofficial Shopify podcast, we should talk about Shopify. We are going to talk about how to scale your store. So I posted in our Facebook group, Unofficial Shopify Podcast Insiders, and I said, hey, what are your questions? What do you need? And there was a common theme to them, which they all, all the questions such related to how do I scale my store? And so we're going to try and run through those and answer those with that, that theme in mind. And to help me do it, of course, is my, my wonderful co-host, business partner, and lead developer of many years, Paul Rita, recently uh, released from the institution. I am so glad to have him back. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, would you like to read the first one? <clears throat> sure. Well, that grossly clear my throat. Uh, Justin Balm asks, do scarcity and urgency apps work? If so, which ones do you recommend? Uh, and what do you think of post-purchase upsell apps? So that's like two questions. Uh, scarcity and urgency apps. It, that's like a yes with a but. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, but. Yes, they do work. You got to do them right. They got to be the right kind of ones. The ones that like. The key is authenticity. Authentic. Yeah. It's got to be believable and not just like a clear lie. But yeah, you'll see those you know, those scam stores. It'll be like uh, it'll be an Instagram ad, and it'll have way too many com- like ten thousand comments, and you'll click through to it, and there's every widget on there, and the widget says something like, "Oh, a thousand people are viewing this right now, and fifteen hundred have it in their cart, and there's only three left." And then you hit refresh, and those numbers all change a little bit each time. Oh no, even better is when it doesn't. When it doesn't change when the at numbers all, don't change at all. Oh, they're just like they're just static. They're just like hard coded. <laughs> And you know, technically, apps that fake those things uh, do those, violate the Shopify the terms of service for the app store. Yeah, those are illegal. Yeah, no, that's that's a naughty note, and you're allowed not allowed to do it. But people still do it, or they they do customizations to do it. So I think a hundred percent scarcity and urgency work. Uh, as this morning, I I tried to buy some hundred eighty dollar pair of Nikes in the Nike app, paid in the first ten seconds of it going live because I knew. I, that there was scarcity, and then that is created urgency on my part. I had a reminder set. I did, and then I didn't even get them anyway. It said, "Well, we're seeing. You're in line. We'll see if you got it." No, you didn't. And so, 100, percent the those concepts work. It's human nature, right? You can't avoid being attracted to urgency and scarcity and social proof. Like those three things really make you want to buy stuff uh, as as a human. But it is not okay to lie to people to achieve that end. So no matter how badly you want it, it's still whatever urgency and uh, scarcity you include needs to be authentic. And I think the, the right way to do it is similar to how the those Nike shoe drops work. But um, it, today, uh, when you showed up, you, you handed me a box from the front door. It was three bottles of buffalo wing sauce from Tacticalories. Why would I buy wing sauce off the internet and sign up to an SMS list to be notified about it? Because I know this stuff sells out so quickly. And so I, I stay on uh, the Tacticalories newsletter so I could be informed when these product launches happen because they sell out in the same day. And so I think that is the trick to get genuine scarcity and urgency is train your customers that your stuff sells out. Selling out can be a good thing. It also makes it really easy to, not, uh, to be able to predict how much inventory to buy. And then you're not sitting on a bunch of distressed inventory. You know, one of the things you're, the main thing to me that you're fighting against when you're trying to sell online is the idea of, is this website a scam? Yes. Will I get the thing I'm ordering? Am I getting it at a, re, at a reasonable, correct price? Like, you know, all this other stuff. And 
having all of those scarcity apps just brings up the scamometer a little, a couple points every time. So I would say they work, use them sparingly like dessert. Uh, you only do stuff that's authentic. And as far as, uh, but ultimately you really just want to train customers, your, your recurring repeat customers that your stuff sells out. So if you, it's a short purchase window, you need to make a decision. And that's really what the urgency is doing is giving you a reason to buy. If it, I don't think it's going to sell out, I don't have, I'm not forced to make a purchase decision right then. I, I, and I think, uh, I think there's really only two things. I, in my mind, there's only two you need to do. One of which is one of our apps, which is ship timer. Cause I think ship timer is an urgency app in that. It's a very, yeah, that's a really good urgency, you know, and it's legitimate. If you order it within the next three hours, you're going to get it by Tuesday or whatever, something like that. And it's just like, well, if you don't order it, you got to wait all the way till Wednesday. Come on. Like just, just do it now. That's good. And the other is a little bit of a tweak. We do this can be done in liquid very easily where if you're tracking inventory and the inventory runs out, it stops being sold on the product. If it's under 10, left it just says that it's like hey we only have seven of this left yeah and that's it, built into themes you can have it a theme customized to do it uh apps will do it and we have an app that does it while supplies last oh while supply last, duh, yeah. does that too which you wrote the core concept for that yeah <laughs> Wait, um, listen i'm i'm still i'm still in my but it, special special place baby <laughs> if you're skeptical about both of paul's ideas Check out Amazon. They do both of these things. They'll say, hey, there's less than 25 in stock. Order soon. And they'll say, oh, order in the next you know, two hours, 44 minutes, and we'll ship same day. Yeah. Sweet. But yeah, I think in terms of like, well, I do I need like scarcity and urgency apps? You need those two. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you don't have to buy them from us. You can, yeah, there's, there just, are other options where they may be built into your theme. Yeah, whatever. But uh, I mean, and then once you start getting beyond that, where it's like 20 people have this in their cart, and it's kind of like... Okay, well, why do I give a shit? You know, while supplies last, we added that as a feature. <laughs> Don't like that. <laughs> it'll do it. It's only if it's below a certain threshold. So it triggers it where it'll say like 10 left. And then it'll also say, and three people have this in their cart. And I saw Etsy do it. And I liked it so much. I went back and, and stuck it in the app. <laughs> I don't know. That app's not, it doesn't look sketchy though. Cause it's not like a timer. Yeah. Emoji. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this very straightforward. Um, and his other question was, what do you think of post-purchase upsell apps? Absolutely try them. I think this is such an easy thing to do now on Shopify, and it's a, a missed opportunity for a lot of people. The offering an upsell to increase average order value pays dividends, and often offering it on the order confirmation page has the highest take rate. And because they make it so easy now, in the past you had to replace your checkout to make this work. Now it's just native in Shopify. I don't think there's a reason not to try it. That would be my professional advice. So uh, uh, Zipify OCU, one-click upsell, bold upsell, uh, cart hook. There's a whole bunch of apps that'll do it. Moving forward. Angus Fraser asks, what is the effect of a theme change on SEO? The fundamental, fundamental site structure will remain the same. He's right. However, a few URLs will be different. I'm worried this will reset my SEO. I don't see how a theme change would change any URL. Uh, yeah, that was, I didn't want to like speak out of turn, but I was like, how does a theme change change any URLs? It doesn't. And Well, unless it would be, yeah, I was updating my navigation. I don't know. It really, it, no, you're right. It, the theme change itself, Shopify has done a, such a good job of separating um, content and style in from the theme uh, to the store 
that changing themes really should not have an impact on your SEO. Where it does have an impact on SEO is in um, technical SEO in the, the page template itself, semantic HTML. Oh, yeah. So, so how the structure of the page, essentially the HTML describes to Google what is on that page. So your rich snippet data, um, you know, where you get, it'll say in a Google search, you know, in stock and with the price, that's, that's part of the, the technical SEO um, and how the, the theme itself is laid out. But I think at this point, the, any, any good theme developer will 100% have a grasp on this. Any theme in the Shopify theme store, Shopify does check to make sure, hey, this stuff, you've got these best practices in place. So I really, you know, unless it's something from, you know, like Template Monster, something like that. Oh, don't do that. Um, but if it's, you know, if it's from a, a competent theme developer or the Shopify theme store, I really don't think you have any SEO fears when changing themes. Yeah, I think, you know, do a check on that micro data like you were talking about um, just to make sure that that held. But if you're talking about something like, oh, I got this one blog post that's really banging and I'm worried that changing themes is going to screw up my Google ranking, like that is not something that will happen in any way. No, it really shouldn't. You will be, okay, I swear. Uh, present us with our, our uh, next question. Melita Cyril. Wants to know, are there any benchmarks for gross margin for successful e-commerce stores after COGS and shipping? Looking to set goals for this in the next year or so and only focus on products that meet this margin. Uh, I don't know. I guess it, you're the bit, you have a special piece of paper that you spend a lot of money for that says that you know about business. <laughs> I received I, a scholarship. <laughs> I put down some college on my applications. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, what do you got to say? Well, initially, I, my answer was, well, there's too many variables. I don't know. But I think there are, from working in enough of these stores, I think there are some some benchmarks, some rules of thumb, and some guidance. But I would take it with a grain of salt. I wouldn't take it too seriously. But this is what I've seen. I think you know, a, in a drop shipping store, you're essentially working on commission. So you've got a really tiny profit margin where you know our, our largest drop shipping client I think they probably, and I don't know this for sure, but my guess would be they take home about 8%. Jesus. Yeah, dropshipping's rough. That and sucks. Dropshipping also, it depends so hugely on what category you're in. But that's also, you know, one of those instances where, you know, when you have that slim margin, you really want to be doing those upsells, those post-purchase upsells. And that's where people, I think, out of desperation also start putting in all those nasty widgets we talked about earlier. If you're doing, so that's the toughest one. If you're doing uh, uh, private label, where someone else manufactures the product, but it is under your brand name, it is yours. Those do a lot better. Sometimes, my guess would be, if a store like that is set up really well, it's 50% is what they're going to take home. If it's really slick, I don't know what it costs to acquire traffic. That's always the wild card here. And then the, I think the third one, the real magic is, you make your own goods. You design goods, you have them manufactured for you, but it's an original work or you manufacture it yourself and sell it. If it's a luxury good, that could be 10 that could sell at 10x cost of goods sold. So I, you know, that stuff could be 5 to 10x. So in that scenario, all right, now we've got a way bigger profit margin. But that's also where we start to see spending a lot more. Yeah, you're like building a goddamn factory. Yeah. In our business, I'm always I'm looking for uh, 50%. So that, so that 8% number, that's, that's not inclusive of like advertising. No, that's where you really get eaten. Yeah. So, yeah. Day. Cause that's what I was going to say. I mean, if your advertising costs go up, it's like, well, not making any money this month. And that's that. So, and that I think is an extreme example, 
Um, but this question, there's just so many variables. I just wanted to walk through three working examples and all of those. I have in my head a, a specific business in mind that uses those figures, but it's all anecdotal. So some benchmarks, some rules of thumb. Graham Komata asks, what are the first things you should be outsourcing? What are the tasks you should never outsource? And then he says he's considering outsourcing first contact for B2B wholesale accounts to set appointments, answer basic questions, and drive further contact with contractors and potential retailers. I think the answer is you outsource whatever you don't want to do. It is almost, I would say nine times out of 10, you will never regret buying back your time. And that's what outsourcing lets you do. Yeah. You buy back your time. You're not going to buy back your time on a thing you love to do. Like my wife loves building Legos. She's not going to hire someone to build Legos for her, but we have to have someone keep the books. I don't want to do that. Yeah. You don't want to do it. So it's totally worth it to pay a couple hundred bucks a month to have someone else handle it for me. So I think it's going to depend on the person and what you, you know, what excites you about your business, but that's the way to look at it. You could buy back your time on just about anything. So what's the stuff that you don't want to do? And then when you get the overlap of like, yeah, I love this example he gave uh, of um, outsourcing first contact for B2B wholesale. He doesn't have to be doing that. It's time consuming, but it's also potentially hugely valuable if he gets a few good accounts out of it. So I say you, you look for that overlap stuff you don't want to do and you can outsource it and you could do it in a cost effective well, fashion and stuff you're bad at and stuff you're bad at. It's like the thing where you're like, I, I know I got to do this for my business and I kind of half-ass it every month, but I really don't know how to do this. Like, okay, there's the first thing. And like a lot of times the stuff you need to do, but don't do compounds. So I'd skip doing the bookkeeping. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, it's like, oh, well, now we're doing 10 months of bookkeeping. <laughs> Crap. I remember one, there was one like January where you were like, I'm going to read you a list of check numbers and then you are <laughs> going to tell me the amount of money in that check. And we're going to add all this up. It was so bad. I, it was in that <laughs> moment that I knew. I was like, all right, this is the last year we half asked this. <laughs> um, and actually, as an exa if you want to outsource bookkeeping, uh, check out Bench, bench.co. Yeah. I really like it. We're all set. We got all our tax documents. Like, I could have started my taxes this week. Oh, it was so, yeah. It, well, it's, it is really cool because it's a thing I don't want to do. And just magically, at the in January, Bench says, hey, here is the package to hand over to your bookkeeper. Look it over. If it makes sense, give it to them. I did it. Or to your CPA. I did it. A week later, taxes are done. I had, look, I just forward an email and the taxes get done. That's magical. That's totally <laughs> worth a couple hundred a month. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Christopher Carr asks, how do you set up digital download products in Shopify? Which, info products, that business, 99% yeah. profit. Profit margins, Christ. Oh my God, you're selling an imaginary item. I love it. I love them so much. Info products so good. It's like we talk about, uh, you and I like fantasize. We're like, we should like find something and then we'll sell it. Like we should, you know, we should use our own magic to like sell a product to people. We should be selling courses. I know, but it, it, it's so time consuming. But anytime, but what I'm saying is anytime we kind of previously had that fantasy, it was always like a physical good we were trying to figure out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Show them off your watch. Uh, Paul got me a cool Casio vintage watch. That was his birthday present. birthday present. And I love vintage digital Casio watches. I'm up to three or four of them. I think I'm going to get a calculator watch. They're great because they're like 25, 30 bucks. Um, they're so much fun. So, uh, and now I realize that if we actually did do that, we would like kill ourselves. 
Because it's like, wait a minute, we sold this thing for 30 bucks, but it costs us like 15. Like what the hell kind of margin is that? As opposed to selling like our various courses or the holiday guide or stuff like that, where every marginal one we sell is a uh, 99% profit margin. Right. It's like, oh. Now that ignores the, I don't know what the effective hourly rate is. It's good, but it ignores the effort upfront to build it, to create the product, create the, uh, do the product launch, um, build the audience and then you know, support the thing yeah, the pro- afterwards. The profit margin on the first one is like negative 10,000%. Yes. <laughs> you and put then in it, gets, the it gets better with each subsequent one. But it, 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 people are saying, they're like, wait, why am I selling stuff instead of info products? You can do both. If it makes sense, especially if you're in like a, if you're in a hobby space, say you're in, you know, you sell drone parts for drone racing. Well, c- put together a video course on, hey, here's how you build your first racing drone. If you can do that, that becomes this tremendously valuable asset. You could both sell it, you could distribute it on other course platforms to try and build your audience, and you can use it as a, a lead magnet or giveaway. The, and and that, it's you cut up into bite-sized pieces, it's social content uh, yeah. as well. And that, the, to me, that's always like a magical um, thing. Is like, And that's something that we do all the time, which you know that digital good just becomes like a freebie. You just hand out to people willy-nilly. And it's just like, oh, you, you know, spend a... $200 on the store and uh, you get the guide on how to build the racing drone. Yes. It's like, okay, that cost you nothing. You just did a, you just did a product upsell. You just upsold them to buying $200 worth of stuff. You gave them nothing in return. Cost you nothing. Yeah, so for people who do print on demand stuff, they experience this in that, you know, they don't have to carry inventory. They just get paid out when the stuff sells. Someone else fulfills it. It's like magic. Now imagine you kept hundred percent of the money on, on whatever t-shirt you sold. Instead of, you know, you kept seven bucks out of 30. If you're lucky, you're keeping 29 out of 30. Wow. That's where digital products are, are really exciting and make a lot of sense. The downside is you know, it, it's creative content that you have to produce. You probably hire someone to do it, though. Outsourcing. That's right. You could outsource it. <laughs> uh, my grandfather-in-law is always trying to, he's like, you should get someone else to make content for you and then sell that as an info product. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'd consider it. Pop quiz. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15%? Well, you could start giving away your Netflix password as a free bonus. What do you mean I'm using too many devices? Or you could use Zipify one-click upsell. Created by the owner of a $100 million e-commerce store, and trusted by over 8,100 Shopify merchants, one-click upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross-sells. You can make pre-purchase upsells right from the shopping cart. You can make post-purchase upsells immediately after a customer completes their order. And with mobile-optimized offer pages that drive sky-high conversions, and built-in split testing for maximizing your results, it's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $139 million in sales. It only takes a few minutes to install the app, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10-15% to 15% more revenue overnight. To start your free 30-day trial, go to zipify.com slash kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash kurt. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. And now back to the show. Joel Torkison asks, that's such a great last name. That's a nice 
nice rhythm to it. Joel Torgerson. Seems very Minnesotan. Maybe it's Swedish. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear about influencer marketing do's and don'ts. I don't know that I can think of any current clients doing traditional influencer marketing where, you know, you just, you find some, some Yahoo on Instagram or YouTube, you give them your product and some money and then they promote it. All of our clients are the influencer. Yes. They've become the Yahoo. I, yes. Increasingly, I think the magic to building, if you, if you're setting your sights on like really big e-commerce brand, I think the magic is you have to have, you need a person, you need a, an authority figure, you need an influencer, you need a content marketer. You pair that to your private label or original good. Maybe you augment it with dropshipping and info products. And then that's how you, you churn out a seven to eight figure store. You got to have that person. And a good example, tactical baby gear. Beef became a that bees. person. Yeah. This, this character. And it, it's so great and he's so good at it. Or, you know, and this is like, so that's, he was able to do it for himself. And, uh, or a larger one, you know, you find someone who can be your content partner. So like Overlander had, they were able to sell, they knew they could sell the products, but they wanted great content for it, but they knew, all right, let's get someone else to, to work on this with us. So they found Expedition Overland and that became the content partner. Or like, you know, Hoonigan has Ken Block, but how many times do you find Ken Block? <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's not, yeah, so the, the world of like, you know, this, uh, this woman on Instagram has like 500,000 followers. I'm going to give her X amount of dollars to like pose with a photo with my product. We know zero people that do that. Cur yeah, currently. And the issue is not that it's a bad thing and it can't work. There's just, there there's was a no gold rush it. on it. And there's so many people who are faking it. And it's so hard to tell who's real and who isn't. I mean, I've heard so many horror stories where... They give them a URL that has, you know, some kind of tracking code in it. And then they check the URL and it's like 10 hits, like yeah. zero purchases. Yes. Like this was, this was pointless. It was like, it was like buying a TV ad in the fifties. You're just like, okay, well you got in front of a bunch of eyeballs, I guess, but uh, you know, nothing actually happened. I would say if an influencer approaches you, I wouldn't trust it. If you go looking at a marketplace for an influencer, maybe if you really do your due diligence, but just. But only spend money you're prepared to lose if you're going to do that. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. It, my wife uh, used FameBit, hired two influencers. One was huge, literally drove zero traffic, had uh, over 100,000 followers, looked great. And the other one, way smaller, on YouTube, drove a ton of stuff, and they developed a relationship out of it. So I think if you have a relationship with the influencer, it's a different thing. It's when you, it's just someone you don't know who is... You know, that's their job is trying to sell sponsored yeah, content. Yeah, they just sell slots every week. And yeah. And just one of the slots. I mean, I think... That's where you got to be careful. In the grand scheme of places to put your money, that is all the way at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. If it's, you know, you have that personal relationship, fine. If not, tread lightly. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Watts. Anthony Watts says, what should you look for in a web developer for redoing websites? E.g. what to watch out for. You're a web developer. This what is, do you think? This might get a little personal. <laughs> Uh, to me, I would say I I'm against, and you, this, this could literally just be like Paul being idiosyncratic about how he does things, but it's people that are extremely fiddly and add too many steps. 
like this thing where it's like, well, we need to do wireframing first. The wireframing is going to cost you like $20,000, but that will give us, you know, so many insights in how to properly like put together this project. And then, you know, we need to do stage two, which is we're going to build like a mood board and we're going to, you know, it's just like that shit over and over again. Yeah, they turn, they turn the whole project into bike shedding and then they bill you for it. Yeah. And they told you it was a great idea. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I would be. I mean, we worked on a project back in the dark days when we did stuff for marketing agencies and they had hired a different big time, big famous Chicago agency to like only do what the, what was it a wireframe? Well, they, they said, Hey, we'll hire you to do this website. And it turned into, all right, well for like the first proposal was literally just for wireframes, but it was in a really slick package. But it cost uh, it, 15, 20 grand. Yeah. And then the actual design cost more. And it wasn't the, and it wasn't even the entire site. It was like, here's key templates and you know, a little bit of a branding guide. So all, maybe they ended up 50 grand all in and all they had for it were a few PSDs. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if web, when he says web developer, he's including that, that means designer, that means like the dork that writes it or what. Well, so I think. With a web developer, may, you want to make sure they have experience in what you're trying to do. So say, hey, you, you, can you show me, give me three examples I of mean, similar projects you've worked well, on. Well, and for all the people we're talking to right here, show, they need to show you other Shopify stores they've done. Yeah, number one, don't, yeah, if the person's primary focus or sole focus isn't Shopify, and Shopify's big enough now, you could find people yeah. who all they do is Shopify. We've done Shopify exclusively for six or seven years now. Yeah. And I mean, I couldn't tell you how many stores we worked on where there's like weird ass, like bootstrap, like backwards stuff where it's like, like kind of made a Shopify theme out of bootstrap. Or yeah, we inherit. Like, the it, problem is when a competent web developer who doesn't necessarily have Shopify experience goes and builds a theme, they don't follow because they don't know it's not their fault. The Shopify best practices when in theme development yeah. and then it just cascades on down the line where we inherit what you lovingly call Jenga tower themes. Yeah. And uh, you know, well, J that's a little different. Those are ones that like 10 other developers have poked at. It's five, it's three years old and everything. There's just holes. There's, uh, there's one I could, I have in mind. <laughs> uh, there's one right now that is on my list that I have feelings about. Uh, yeah. I mean, to me, in terms of the, the actual developer developer guys, it's, you know, I shouldn't say this, but, it's places where to me a pet peeve is like they're just using a lot of unnecessary technologies just to show it's like we need a sledgehammer but we need a sledgehammer that's it just like get sledgehammer out we're gonna set this up and they're like well actually i bought this uh very special like automatic laser hammer and we're gonna be doing this and it, well we need a special generator for that hammer they overcomplicate it and it's just like just get the sledgehammer let's go you want and, an operator yeah I want two things. I want someone who know who has enough Shopify experience to implement those best practices because that's an investment in this thing not being painful to maintain later. That's number one. So just, hey, how long have you been working on Shopify? Can you show me some examples, some other themes you built? Yeah. Cool. That's number one. Number two, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was so good, too. It was so poignant. Oh, God. Well, number, yeah, number two, you want, you want an operator. You want someone who is interested in Getting the work done as opposed to um, overcomplicating it. Yeah. Or for the sake of billable hours. Well, for the sake of billable hours and also for the sake of like. Their ego? Yeah. There's a lot of guys in my, in my uh, business that are just like 
really get off on like the cool thing that they did. The shiny toy. That's just like, well, look how I executed this. And it's just like, I don't care, man. I do not care. <laughs> does it's it like, work? Yeah, does it does sell? It work? It's like, did it work? Did you make money on the billing from the client? And like, you got to, then you got to go buy a new TV. Like, that's great job well done but yeah this thing where it's like everything is a weird backward somersault it's like i don't care just yeah to serve your ego so yeah. you can feel like you compiled something as a web developer that, yeah where it's just like why are we like kind of compiling code it's just like just write the fucking css dude yeah get out of your feelings get your results yeah i mean and you know i'm a heretic when i say that <laughs> all right moving on to shirley burdell who says add creative work on it in-house or outsource it what works for product brands in 2021? Long form, short form, videos, pictures. Oh my gosh. I love this question because well, I tell you one thing. The brands, uh, the, the Facebook ad accounts that we've managed and the clients we've worked with who are really successful buying traffic from the traffic store, i.e. Facebook, uh, have one thing in common. It is just a constant flow of new creative. So we're always testing something new. And what works one month may not necessarily work the next month. So, uh, but certainly multimedia content works in most pro in most Shopify product spaces. So you want a mix of photos and videos, and ideally you make a short video and a long video. And the advantage to that is the long video works on the ten minute video will work um, on on YouTube and in posts and on the website, and the thirty second video will work as a Facebook ad. So once you're already in the effort of making video, like we make a YouTube version of the show. I don't really make it for YouTube. I make it because I want the social content. So it, what's great yeah, about the, video. The magic is not the uh, one hour YouTube video. The magic is the like. The cut downs. The little five minute blocks that you're throwing up on Twitter and on the Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. The the video editors at Hoonigan taught me that phrase. They call it the cut down. Like, oh, now it's the cut down. Yeah. I need a 30 set cut down of this. You're like, I'm a pro. Yeah. I'm basically, I'm a film producer now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> yeah. Call me Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, <laughs> Don't be him. <laughs> he always loses all his money. Oh, no. What about his vineyard? <laughs> That's the only thing that makes the money. That's funny. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. He famously gets out over his skis where he was just like, fuck you. I'll make it myself. And then he'll make, you know, and he finances it he himself. So finances it himself. And it's like, oh, that movie made like $2 million. You made negative $28 million on that oh. movie. <laughs> like everything he made post 1987, like 1987 to 2000 was just him being like, that pays off that debt. That pays off that debt. <laughs> uh, you know, it gets the job done. <laughs> you need a little financial pain sometimes uh, to get, to get motivated. So no, I think um, in-house or outsource the most successful uh, ad accounts we've worked on, they did the the creative in-house, but that just isn't practical for everybody. And it just isn't. And so if it makes more sense, do the one that makes more sense to you, whether you outsource it or do it in-house, or you could do both. Um, you could use outsource to try and figure out what works, then bring it in-house, et cetera. I mean, and I, I feel like the answer to this question of every piece of this question, what works? Like, should it be this? Like, should it be that? It's just yes. Yeah, it's the answer. to This is yes. Everything. Yeah. Just make the content and keep making fresh content. I want monthly fresh content. Yeah. It's like, is the monthly fresh content 10 seconds? Cool. Is the monthly fresh content 10 minutes? Cool. And is it, it a photo? Cool. At the start of the show, we talked about uh, urgency and scarcity. And I said, like, those are the things the human brain, you just triggers things that make us buy. You know, the other thing the human brain really loves novelty. <laughs> 
the human brain craves novelty. So seeing the same ad over and over will make you remember it, but it won't make you interested in it. Whereas seeing different content on the same theme for the same product, ah, now you're getting both. You're getting those touch points, you're getting trust, and you're getting people engaged with it. Uh, CJ Flood wants to know, what are the often overlooked opportunities for brands in the bracket of 0 to 100K, 100K to 1 million, 1 million to 5 million, 5 million to 50 million, I like 50 this. million to 5 billion. <laughs> All right, he didn't say that last one. <laughs> he didn't say the last two. And I'm assuming that we're referring to annual revenue numbers here for these figures. Oh, I just assumed that was like per minute. Per <laughs> Every 15 seconds. <laughs> Shopify's on fire. <laughs> Uh, they yeah, got that little thing in the app and it's just like constantly going. They can't sleep at night. <laughs> the notifications made me crazy. Uh, that'd be a good problem to have, wouldn't it? So zero to a hundred thousand. I'm going to go with the, the overlook things, the things I have seen businesses in these brackets struggle with, break through, and then succeed because of zero to a hundred thousand. It really is about nailing down the messaging and the positioning. Who's buying this? Why are they buying it? What pain am I solving? And when you understand that, and then you can communicate that, and then you can target your customer, life gets a lot easier. Now, of course, all of this assumes you're offering something that people want. And until you put it out there and ask people for their money, for them to open their wallet for you, you're not going to know if they, they want it or not. But that's in, in that early stage, all the apps, all the tactics, it's just nonsense until you nail that cornerstone of positioning and knowing who's buying it and why figure that out. And then once you have it figured out, just plaster it everywhere. So it is clear to you, the customer and everybody else at the, when you have that figured out, okay, now we can get a hundred K to 1 million. That stage is really about finding a traffic source that scales and finding a channel that'll work for you. So, you know, maybe it's, we figured out Facebook ads and then we brought uh, we outsourced our content and we figured out what worked and then we brought it in house and we we're making content nonstop and we built a studio, that kind of thing. Figuring out, finding the one channel that works, doubling down on it, getting really good at it, and just scale, scale, scale with laser focus. That's what's going to get you to 1 million. Once you're there, it is very much about, okay, we have systems and processes and built a team. And that's where, you know, you want to read a book like uh, Traction and figure out how we're going to do reporting. Um, that's, those are... Those are my, the, the pitfalls, I think, that occur in those various um, revenue brackets. Uh, my one thing is, I think in that, in that 100K to $1 million range, I think that's the zone where you get your, you got to get your email right. I think you can hit a million, you can hit a million dollars a year without your email right, but you're not going from one to five without getting your email right. You got it. Yes. And I, I can think of a store that was bad at email and now is doubling down on email and it is scaling. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think people, it's just, that's where that's, that's the engine of the entire machine that is, own the, channel. is the email. And so I think, you know, a hundred, you know, below a hundred K it's like, you got a, you got a whole lot of problems. You got a whole lot of things you got to worry about. Like, I understand you probably don't even have the user base yet to even do it. But like, if you're cranking out six figures a year on the store, you've got enough to figure out how to get the email absolutely perfect. And I think that's the stage to do it. And then like the year that occurs after you do that is just printing money. A hundred percent. I'm with you. Uh, Martha Vivian. Paul, is there a podcast that you listen to weekly or a podcast that you love? I feel overwhelmed when I search for Shopify or e-commerce podcasts. There's so many. Well, she derailed that question because there are many podcasts I listen to weekly. 
zero of them are about e-commerce or Shopify, so it might not be helpful. How many how many business podcasts do you think I subscribe to? You? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take it back. I don't think you subscribe to more. It's not definitely not more than five. It's zero. It? Yeah. Okay. They're so boring. <laughs> business podcasts are boring. Yeah. And it very much didn't want our show to be boring. And I got a soundboard. Put some fart noises on it. <laughs> you know what? I, I, you know, I want to say, I don't know if this is because of my, you know, because of my condition or whatever, like you're trying not to agitate me, but you have not hit it at all this whole time. Okay, so pretty much I have to now. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the, uh, I saw you tweet the roadcaster was in WandaVision. Yes. Yeah. The, the thing we used to record the podcast and use the soundboard, they used it as a prop in WandaVision is because it was like cool in sci-fi. I thought it was funny. Well, I think, uh, I think Darcy was using it to like uh, route the sound from the one WandaVision, uh, fantasy yes it you know it looked good and it made sense yeah and they just they had a qr code sticker that they put over the logo <laughs> and it drove me crazy i was like i want to scan the qr code it didn't work <laughs> oh well uh so no but all right so i said i don't subscribe to any business podcast i mean i'm sure if you search for shopify and e-commerce podcast oof yeah oh there are so <laughs> many of them and it's just drop shipping blow my brains out so, all right, if I had to pick, uh, I've been on many, and I have listened to them one-off. I just don't subscribe, is the truth. Um, uh, E-commerce influence with Austin Browner is very good, uh, and it, it, they have good banter. Like, the, the co-host setup is similar to ours. It's good. Uh, E-commerce fuel with Andrew Udarian is long-running, longer than ours, and very good. And uh, a Shopify side in conversation with Shopify Plus, the caliber of guests they got on there um, is is quite extraordinary. Episode one is Steve Madden from uh, the, as in like Steve Madden Shoes. Like John Madden's brother? Are they related? No. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. I don't know. He's messing with me. Or maybe he's not. You know a lot of trivia. If you ask me, I, I never know if you're messing with me or not. So there's your answer. And the, the dark truth about me and business podcasts. It's also because I don't want to be influenced. Like, I don't want to listen to what other people do and then just copy that. So yeah. I kind of avoid it. Yeah. Um, she had a follow-up question. Martha Vivian, what are your top three Shopify sites? I mean, I don't know. I mean, they're just all, who knows if sites a Shopify site or not. The, well, you look, I look at the URL structure is how I figure I mean, it out. I mean, if I'm like on a store and I'm like, this store is cool and I click view source and then you can see it right away. Yeah. But, you know, it's like not a thing I note. I could tell you uh, I mean, when I'm not doing work actively for our business, I put zero thought into e-commerce and Shopify. I'm just going to be honest. Sorry, oh, I everyone. think about it all the time. Oh, my God. It turned into my way of life. I know. Which is why I can't listen to business podcasts about it. You can't, you know, I need something else. My entertainment can't also be e-commerce. Uh, the top three Shopify sites. I uh, mean, for me, it's Overlanders right now. It's obviously the thing we're most proud of. Uh, we have a I mean, it's, it's just the stuff we work on. Because I mean, other the other Overlander's stuff, super cool. The other stuff floating out there, I'm like, I don't. It doesn't register in my brain. Doing uh, design work recently, I was looking for inspiration on designs, and so I looked at some other Shopify stores. And I, you know, Nugs. I've talked a lot about. I like Nugs. Nugs is so crazy. I, I think, and they do so many. They do a lot of interesting things. Um, and I like the the big bold design. So n- number one, Nugs. I like. Um, and number two, uh, Judy, judy.co. It's a emergency preparedness kit 
and then you pick like what size you want. Like, do you want a, you know, a giant Rubbermaid of emergency supplies or a fanny pack? And they have everything in between. And it was one of Oprah's favorite things last year uh, for Christmas. And so Judy, I like a lot. And as a a third site, mm, I'm going to go with Baboon to the Moon. Baboon to the Moon, I found recently. And it's anti-design without being offensive. It's good. Oh, Pit Vipers. Oh, God. Oh, Pit Vipers. Yeah. Love me some Pit Vipers. How stupid of us (laughs) to even think. Yeah. No, I like these really just aggressively unusual designs. And that's because I stare at websites all day and I think about websites all day. So I get pushed toward the really atypical stuff. So you shouldn't necessarily want to be like some of these stores, depending on what you're selling. Um, they, yeah, it depends on your niche. Uh, Taylor page, uh, wants to know top book recommendations for growing your business. Again, don't read business books. Can't tell you. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I do enjoy business books. Um, I've not with the pandemic. I haven't read any and really I listen to them on audible. Um, but if, and it depends where you're at, but I like if you're early on e-myth, the e-myth is a, a really good book. If you're trying to scale from 1 million to 5 million, I think traction is the way to go. And if you're trying to go from 100,000 to 1 million, um, you should focus on books about product launches. And so I think um, Ask is a good book. Uh, product Launch Formula is a good book. So those are my recommendations. And in that order, E-Myth, uh, pro- Ask, Product Launch Formula, then Traction. There you go. Yeah, all right. I mean, I, I could have made all those titles up for all we know. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can't fact check that. Uh, not that we fact check anything on the show, just to be clear, we're not journalists. <laughs> <laughs> this is just two guys talking. Daniel Mendez, what's Kurt's process when he optimizes the conversion rate for any Shopify store? Uh, load the store up. Just look at the problems. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Well, uh, like, see if it see if it loads crappy when you load it. And if it doesn't load crappy, then it's just it's just like the expertise of being like, that looks bad. So it is I mean, it really, far, I mean, in my mind, that's when I mean, when I do it, when you're like, Paul, take a look at the store and tell me what the problems are. It's just pretty much me using my, you know, decade plus experience and just kind of being like, that's bad. That's bad. Get make that better. And that's it. So it's true. Number one is, hey, number one is what's broken on this store. You would be surprised the amount of stuff that is broken on your store that you have just either you got used to it or you just never noticed it in the first place. So there's a number one, fix what's broken. Number two, implement best practices. So it's stuff that the, uh, the stuff that comes with experience. It's the things that other websites have trained us all to expect. Those are the best practices. So that's, that's phase two. Then phase three. All right, let's see. There's how we think people are using this website and how they're actually using it. So let's use heat maps and let's use screen recordings with hot jar. I like hot jar. Um, other people use lucky jar, lucky orange. I'm a hot jar guy myself. <laughs> and so, all right, let's figure out what are they clicking on that they shouldn't? What are they not clicking on that they should? What can we do about this? All right. That, now we're at this point, we should have a pretty optimized site after that, assuming that everything went as we expected. Then the final one is, Hey, let's throw stuff against the wall. That's split testing. If, when we talk about conversion rate optimization, everyone wants to go straight to split testing. Uh, no, that's the l- absolute last step is split testing. There's the process. That's there's your million dollar business idea. Enjoy the hot jar. <laughs> it's where you collect your farts. <laughs> what? 
Oh, hold on. I have a sound drop for that. Doesn't work if you need to, like, navigate through a menu. I know. I need to. I got too many. I got to rearrange them. What if I took the farts off? I took the farts off. <laughs> Ew. That's the best I got. <laughs> I blew it. Ah, last, last question. One. Uh, Raul Benavidez wants to know, I am starting a new project on Turbo and want to use Recharge for subs. Pros and cons. What are your thoughts about subscription apps on Turbo? Uh, I don't know. Why wouldn't they work? Why would Turbo be different than any other theme? Exactly. Yeah. Well, so earlier I said, hey, if you're going to change themes, don't get one from just a random store. Get one from a trusted developer or the Shopify theme store. If you pick a popular theme, which falls into that uh, under that umbrella, pretty much all apps should install in it. It's when you get into uh, custom apps that follow some odd framework, so even or a custom theme, even a custom theme that follows a default framework will work fine. Um, but it's when you get into these just strangely built apps that it starts to get hard to install apps in them. And their auto installers break and you get a request manual, you get a bunch of problems. With a, I think any of the out of the sandbox theme or the other major Shopify theme developers, and especially Turbo, just about any app should auto install in that. Oh, yeah. Because it's it it's a very popular it's theme, so popular. Like, so the app the app developers want their stuff to install in that. Well, and the, and the app developers, you know, nine times out of ten, they're like, well, we'll install it manually if it doesn't work. It's like they don't want to have to freaking go install it manually, so they're Ugh, gonna figure no. out how to get that system all set up so they don't have to touch it ever again. Yeah. Now, so yeah, you're good. Is the short answer. Um, recharge your bold subscriptions. Good to go. All right. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. And if you want to be able to get your questions in for the next time we do a Q&A episode, join our Facebook group, Unofficial Shopify Podcast Insiders, and come talk to us. Uh, I've, I've been meaning to tell you this for weeks, and I finally get a chance to tell you about it because I wanted to do it on the podcast. They are doing a remaster of, I believe his name is Abel Gantz, uh, who who's a Frenchman. Uh, they're doing a remaster of his film he made about Napoleon. It was a silent film from the 20s. And the special thing about this film, it is the widest movie ever made. What's it, the aspect ratio? It's shot in 4-1. There are sequences <laughs> shot in 4-1. And so, because he literally was like, Ken, this was before widescreen was really invented. So he was like, he's like, I got an idea. Put three cameras next to each other. Oh, I see this. <laughs> so... And it's shot, four, so it's 4-1, because it was 4 by 3 and the, there's three next to each other. So I just want to tell you about that because of my hatred of no one on the website using aspect ratios. So now I'm waiting for one of our clients to make us implement 4-1 video on their store. <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to be waiting a while. <laughs> and on that note, let's head out. <laughs> If you're new to the e-commerce space, you're probably thinking what we all were in the early days. Where the heck do I start? Product photography, discount codes, a logo? Thankfully, there's a really simple answer. Start with your theme. Your Shopify store theme is the foundation of your online storefront. Picking the right theme influences the way your store looks, how it works, and more importantly, how easy it is for visitors to see the value in what you're offering and convert them into paying customers. With close to 10 years of experience building beautiful, high-performing themes, the folks at Out of the Sandbox are experts in knowing what it takes to make your store a success. From the unmatched speed of Turbo to the endless customization of Flex, their themes are designed to look great and, more importantly, help you sell more. 
Whether you want to upgrade your existing theme or launch a brand new online store, Out of the Sandbox has a theme for you. Visit outofthesandbox.com and use promo code KURT20 for 20% off their best-selling themes and my favorites, Flex and Turbo. That's outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial promo code KURT20 for 20% off Flex and Turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at ethercycle.com. Thanks for listening.